Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening this week. The Miami Marlins is one of the least liked teams in Major League Baseball. A billion dollars in public money for a new stadium, getting rid of top players in 15 years since a playoff appearance. The Marlins have ranked near the lowest in the league in attendance for six years. Fewer than a million people bought tickets to a Marlins game last year. Marlins Park, built for over $500 million, most of it public money, was barely a third full at an average game last season. But this season, the Marlins are remaking themselves on the field and in its business operations. It's the second season of the new ownership group, which includes billionaire investor Bruce Sherman and former New York Yankees star Derek Jeter. First pitch for the Marlins is Thursday against the Colorado Rockies. It's the earliest opening day ever for Major League Baseball, and the Marlins are banking on improving its business, if not their play. The team had the worst record last year in the National League, had one of the worst home game records, and one of the lowest payrolls in the league. While the value of the franchise has increased, the business has struggled. Forbes estimates the team has not turned an operating profit since 2016. Adam Jones is the guy helping lead the Marlins baseball business now. He's certainly not a marquee name for fans, but his handiwork will be all over Marlins Park and, he hopes, will ignite a virtuous business cycle with a growing business and better baseball feeding off each other. It's a rebranding. In in many ways, it's a a rebirth. Jones grew up as a Cincinnati Reds fan, playing third base in Little League before giving up baseball for basketball. And before coming to the Marlins, he spent more than a decade as a business strategy consultant working with professional sports franchises across the country. He's helped lead the Marlins to adding new sections in the stadium, cutting some ticket prices, and dropping the price of ball game staples like hot dogs and a beer. We spoke with Jones about the changes and how the Marlins hope to reset the relationship with South Florida baseball fans. 2018 was really year zero for new ownership, new leadership, uh, took the time uh, to, to really understand uh, the market, our fans, the history, complicated history. And now in 19, it's, it's the process of hitting reset and moving the organization forward. Are you ready for opening day? What is opening day? What's that experience going to be like for the Marlins fan as you reset that relationship? Uh, we're, we're getting there. Uh, we'll be ready on the, on the 28th. Uh, it's a completely reimagined experience from the F&B to the seat experience. F&B. F&B is? Food and beverage. Okay. Yes. Uh, MLB, we know. RBI, we know. F&B, that's business speak in baseball. Forgive me. Uh, so we're looking at reimagining the food and beverage offering, uh, bringing in much more than your hot dog, your chicken tender, your popcorn. What's the driving vision here behind this strategy? What have you articulated for the team? And what is the, the message that you want the community to hear as you're undergoing this rebirth, as you describe it? Uh, we want to be authentically Miami. Uh, we are Miami. Uh, is our new tagline. Uh, We have had the opportunity to re-engage the market, understand what their needs are, what's worked, what hasn't, and make sure that we're being front and center, uh, authentic to to this community, and something that can be a rallying point for for all residents in the business as well. What went into that kind of mission statement, that that desire to be authentic? Was it a, a, an acknowledgement that the, the team had moved away from kind of the local community? Putting aside the, the financial concerns around building the ballpark, we'll talk about some of those and how do you clear out uh, some of that in the air. But had the brand become inauthentic in your estimation? Well, this is year eight uh, in the ballpark uh, down here in Little Havana. 
25 plus years of history with the organization, a whole first generation of fans uh, that we're really proud to engage and continue to, to have with the organization. But eight years in, we're continuing to find pockets uh, of the community, particularly those down here closer in South Dade, uh, who ne we've never spoken to. Uh, first introductions, first engagements, uh, and a real opportunity to uh, become Miami's team uh, from uh, the type of experiences we offer in the ballpark to uh, our brand and how we represent ourselves uh, in the community. Uh, and that was a real focal point for ownership leadership. Uh, day one was getting back out in the community and making, uh, which unfortunately were some first introductions. What's the business case for this kind of rebirth? In other words, what kind of investment is the new ownership uh, uh, making in this kind of rebirth? And what do you expect for that return on investment? Well, uh, there's several key lines of business uh, in, in baseball and professional sport. On the, the ticket side, uh, we, we, we need to scale attendance. Uh, we're in, in the market of uh, trying to draw more people to the ballpark. Uh, as part of that, we had to broaden the positioning of the experience, make it more appealing, uh, not only to the baseball avids, but baseball socials, families, visitors who are in market. Uh, and so as a part of that, we wanted to invest in the cost of attendance, make this a more accessible product. Uh, already has been a very affordable one, uh, but here in South Florida and the Southeast and in general, there's a lot of things to do with uh, your, your leisure and entertainment dollar. Uh, and we wanted to make sure that Marlins baseball was front and center and that from the experience side that this was one of the, the, the top first class experiences for uh, friends, businesses, families to come out and, and experience uh, an evening uh, at the ballpark. Off of the, the tickets is the, the rest of the end ballpark from the concessions to the retail to the parking, all of that coming off of our ability to, to, to draw more, more attendance. Uh, on the, the media and, and partnership side, a lot of that's contractual. Some of that uh, is going to have a little bit longer of, uh, of a lead time to, to, to build towards. Most significant revenue stream there has got to be the TV deal. Is that right? Uh, it, it's among uh, the, the, the most important, but, but tickets are, are right there as well. What was the business like last year in the 2018 season? What are the expectations? What can you share with us in terms of the financial projections with the investment that the, the ownership is making in the stadium uh, and, and, and the experience? What are the expectations for that kind of return? Uh, so for our investors, this is a, a long-term in investment. The uh, investments that were pulled forward and intend to see paybacks uh, years down the road, uh, but we do intend to see positive movement uh, across all of our, our key lines of business, all of those key underlying metrics. Uh, the, the intent being to uh, get more fans into the ballpark uh, this year uh, and, and see those fans engage with us on a more frequent basis. Does that mean uh, operating profit for 2019? Do you expect to see that? Uh, profitability in sport is, uh, is, is a challenge, uh, not only here, but, but across the, the entire industry. Uh, the, the focus being is getting ourselves, whether that's uh, in uh, the, the positive or continuing in, in the red, into a sustainable position uh, where uh, the valuations of the teams and the operations of, uh, of, of the franchise uh, hit that, that sweet spot where we can continually uh, sustainably invest in the product. So what does 2019 look like? I mean, we're on the cusp of the season, of course. There are projections at this point. But what can you share with us in terms of what those expectations are that the ownership is looking forward to in 2019? 
Uh, well, on the, the membership side, which is uh, our season tickets, a uh, very positive campaign, uh, both in the re-enrollment and new enrollment side, starting to see uh, both on the individual and business side, uh, people uh, leaning in uh, to the product, which is very positive, uh, created some smaller commitments uh, so that people could dip their toe in and understand uh, what membership is in baseball, uh, enhance the benefits around uh, that experience as well to, to add more value. It's interesting you use that word membership. We use that word a lot in public media, for instance, but I haven't heard that necessarily in professional for-profit sports. Is that a new lexicon you're bringing to kind of the sales uh, pitch, so to speak, to the community? It's reinforcing what we've tried to create within our model, which is a 365-day relationship, getting away from transactional dynamics and into uh, really co-ownership, co-investment uh, in, in what this product is. Uh, you know, professional sports is this very interesting dichotomy of being a private enterprise and a community asset. Uh, and what we want to create here is, is a shared, uh, vested uh, enterprise, both with uh, our investors and with the broader community. When the current ownership group was uh, looking for investors, um, a sales deck had leaked to the Miami Herald called Project Wolverine. I'm sure you're familiar with that, right? And that had said, uh, in August of 2018, that uh, data had expected a profit for the Marlins in 2019 of $10 million. Are those still accurate numbers? Are they still, pun intended, in the ballpark of the business operations that the ownership group expects this year? What I'll share is that uh, coming on board and as an organization, we've set a model where uh, we've, we've right-sized uh, and we'll make steady progress against the metrics that'll put us into uh, that path of profitability or path of sustainability. Um, but, but those are very much internal documents that, uh, that set a, a very reasonable but yet aggressive path forward as to uh, how we, we look to engage in the market. Are, are they achievable this season, do you think? Uh, they are. Uh, we, we've put very aggressive goals against all our lines of business. Uh, we believe it's necessary uh, in order to, to get us where we want, have the business side of the organization time to uh, the, the baseball side. Uh, but uh, they are aggressive, but they are achievable. You told the uh, Sun Sentinel recently, quote, we need to force ourselves uh, to reset a lot of the standard, not only for this organization and market, but for the industry as a whole. Uh, clearly, you're focused on the Marlins business, but what are you projecting outward, I suppose, uh, in terms of the business of baseball that you think is happening here in Miami? Uh, so fortunately, off of my, my background, as well as many others that have come into the organization, we uh, have, have a good perspective of what's worked, what hasn't uh, across not only baseball, but the broader industry. Uh, we have the opportunity, given where we sit as an organization, to uh, challenge ourselves, challenge conventional practice and industry, and get out in front of the curve. Uh, and, and really try to reset a lot of the standards, not only for this market, but, but, but broader industry. Uh, and as a result of that, there's a need to create more diversity with the offering, be able to tailor experience more to the individual. Uh, what we've done with some of our new spaces with AutoNation Alley and the Social Australia Jalisco is create more social communal opportunity, uh, more experiences that get people up and out of a chair back seat and floating around the ballpark, engaging within more of the the activations we've invested in. So the idea is to bring people into the stadium, but not keep them in their seats? 
Well, there's those who want to sit and, and, and watch nine plus innings of baseball. Uh, there's others who want to engage in baseball, but also have that, that social, uh, more leisure entertainment uh, type environment. And in in order for us to succeed, to scale this where we needed to go, we've got to create offerings that appeal to that very broad spectrum, very diverse uh, profile of, of market that we have here in South Florida. And we have to find a way to make those, those environments coexist within, within one experience. That's Adam Jones. He's the Senior Vice President of Business Strategy and Development for the Miami Marlins. We spoke with him in a conference room last week at Marlins Park. Now, that experience he talks about comes together at the park itself, the controversial and much maligned home to the Marlins for the past seven seasons. The team's eighth season at the park and second under CEO Derek Jeter begins with opening day on Thursday. So still to come, remaking Marlins Park in hopes of bringing baseball fans back to the stadium and the neighborhood. These can be anchors uh, for development, and whether it's development or uh, just sustainability of, of, of a thriving neighborhood, there's opportunity for sport to coexist and, and be that anchor to the overall experience. Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy here on WLRN. Thanks again for listening this week. I'm Tom Hudson. Don't forget you can follow each program along on social media. We're on Twitter at WLRN. And, of course, you can catch a podcast of this episode and all our previous episodes by searching the term Sunshine Economy on iTunes. When the Miami Marlins baseball season opens on Thursday, an experiment in selling tickets and watching baseball will be underway. One specific type of ticket will allow the fan to see the game from two vantage points. The Marlins say it's a first for Major League Sports. One ticket, two spots. They are standing room only spaces, one in right field and the second in center field. What used to be in the center field space was Homer, the seven-story sculpture with diving Marlins, pelicans, and seagulls. It cost almost $2.5 million and was paid for with public tax dollars. Now, instead of its water jets, lasers, and Florida kitsch going off when the Marlins hit a home run, it's a three-tiered standing room-only area that's part of the two-places-one-ticket option the Miami Marlins have branded with a Mexican beer company. It's one of the changes inside the park the team is counting on to bring in more people, and the bar is low. The Marlins had the lowest average attendance in the major leagues at just over 10,000 people last season. That's less than a third of what Marlins Park holds. The team would have to see almost a 50% jump in average attendance per game to be even the second worst in the league. That's how far attendance has fallen in South Florida for Major League Baseball. The team's business strategy and development boss, Adam Jones, has led these changes. We spoke with him at Marlins Park last week. What are you projecting in terms of a per-game attendance? Well, positive growth over uh, 2018 year over year. Uh, we, so over 10,000 people per game would be growth. It would, and you know, we, we, we changed our reporting policy around uh, attendance in 2018. Part of building that trust is we need to be transparent around uh, where our business sits. Uh, part of that earning the support and engagement of, of the market. Uh, we do expect uh, in 19 to see positive movement uh, off of uh, the 2018 number. Uh, we view that as our floor, uh, and we'll have, see steady growth here year over year in 19 and beyond. The transparency you talk about was not to count free tickets 
as attendance. Is that right? Uh, more aligned to the, the the standard policy of baseball around paid attendance being the or paid tickets being the standard of reporting. The policy being focused on the paid attendance yeah. or the paid tickets. Perhaps for the fan who comes, who has been to Marlins Park before, among the significant differences they're going to see is something missing in center field. Of course, we're talking about the, the sculpture uh, and all of the controversy around that. This was a sculpture paid for by public dollars, as you're well aware, and has been a, a, a lightning rod, has been a symbol of uh, past ownership malpractice. Well, the decision of what to do with, uh, with Homer was, was a fairly simple one. We wanted to continue to celebrate public art within Marlins Park. It had been at the forefront of the entire overall concept. Uh, we're excited about what we're going to be doing out on the East Plaza with the Art Walk at Marlins Park. Uh, that'll come online uh, following the 2019 season. Uh, art is, is a core to, to South Florida, to, to the Miami community. And we want that to be a reflection of, 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 of that community within Marlins Park. And so we'll continue to invest and, and reimagine what that, that art experience is. Uh, but we had an opportunity uh, in left center field to address a few gaps within uh, the experience at, at Marlins Park. Uh, we lacked any type of in-bowl space uh, for group hospitality. We were able to achieve that on the lowest level of that center field structure. Uh, we were then able to expand uh, general fan access uh, to uh, Skyline Terrace and their ability to engage and have a unique vantage point back towards the uh, the field at the top level, and then part of creating that that new uh, experiential ticket product, the Australia Jalisco Party Pass, which gives you exclusive access to two locations within uh, the venue uh, in the middle tier of of that experience. So I guess the question, right, regarding the sculpture, is what drove the decision? Was it the what the sculpture represented? Was it the business opportunity to kind of reclaim that real estate within the stadium? for these other experiences? Uh, it was our, our largest opportunity in bowl to address some of the, the, the gaps in, in, in coverage and experience of, uh, of our product. Uh, and we felt there was opportunity to uh, relocate, reposition uh, that particular asset to unlock those opportunities. And how about the investment, the capital investment that's being made in the stadium? Uh, so close to $15 million, a lot of that uh, being driven by our, our investors uh, who, uh, again, are leaning in uh, and pulling forward their engagement uh, in what they see as a long-range long plan, uh, but where uh, we'd like to uh, quickly demonstrate our commitment to uh, the market, to our fans, and, and delivering on uh, when we say we're going to be a first-class organization and we make that promise, deliver and fulfill that, that promise. This is capital that's coming from the ownership group, not coming from another source, a public source, for instance. That, that's correct. So these being the first meaningful dollars uh, from, from ownership, uh, from private sector coming into uh, this, this particular asset, public asset, uh, since its, uh, its opening in 2012. What are the opportunities with the Marlins as it relates to the neighborhood? This stadium was, was built... Uh, and justified to some degree as an economic development magnet that hasn't materialized, certainly. Uh, you told the Sun Sentinel, we want to be an active stakeholder within the community. What does that mean for the Marlins within what is largely a, a residential area? 
Well, I think there's a lot of things within our proper enterprise of uh, a team at a ballpark that we're looking to get in order and, and properly positioned so that we can be uh, a better stakeholder within the, the neighborhood and, and community. Uh, but when you look across baseball, look across uh, broader sport entertainment, uh, these can be anchors uh, for development. Uh, and whether it's development or uh, just sustainability of, of, of a thriving neighborhood, there, there's opportunity for, for sport to, to co coexist and, and be uh, that, that anchor uh, to, to the overall experience. So what's been missing from that calculation in the eight or nine years the park has been here? What, what are the Marlins looking to put into that calculation? Well, I think whether we're doing it directly or we're supporting others, it's it's creating more of a mixed-use uh, type of experience where uh, it, it's not arriving at first pitch and leaving immediately thereafter. It, it becomes a, 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 a broader experience within the, the area so that uh, people are engaging uh, with the neighborhood uh, for, for meals and shopping and, and other entertainment pre and post game. Uh, and that outside of Marlins dates that we're doing our job to bring more events into the ballpark. Uh, we view this as a world-class, not only baseball, but sport and entertainment venue. Uh, and look, just as we're seeking to engage our Marlins members 365 days a year, engage this venue uh, in those types of opportunities, that, that calendar as well. So is the neighborhood ready for that kind of attention? I, I think it's something that we work on collectively as, as a community as to what that right balance is and we'll continue to dial or calibrate in exactly uh, what is the, the right 365 environment, uh, the, the pre and post uh, opportunities uh, around Marlins baseball or events within the, the ballpark. Uh, but there are opportunities uh, for, for the community and for us to continue to look to invest our time and dollars back into the community as well, uh, that whether we're talking about direct economic dollars uh, into the neighborhood or how we take our dollars and in the indirect side of that, that equation, uh, continue to reinvest in those who are, are here and our, our direct neighbors in, in the community. Speaking with Adam Jones, the Senior Vice President of Business Strategy and Development with the Miami Marlins. A significant business opportunity for Marlins Park still exists, naming rights. Jones says they may have a deal this season. Still to come in our program, competing off the field on the price of tickets for Major League Baseball. We had the opportunity coming in here to, to 2019 to do a full reset, creating as much uh, calibration of our price to, to market value uh, as we could. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening and supporting public media. By late August of last year, the Miami Marlins were well out of the hunt for the playoffs, not that they really ever were. They had played more than 130 games by that point and had won only 53. They were in the cellar of the National League East where they would finish the season. This is when the Marlins announced they would be lowering ticket prices. The team's president of business operations told the Miami Herald at the time, quote, we're lowering ticket prices because we screwed up to begin with. We weren't very smart, end quote. The team cut prices as part of the new owner's effort to bring back business, even as expectations on the field are low. 
An annual analysis by a sports marketing firm of major league ticket prices finds the average cost of a non-premium Miami Marlins ticket is down 29%. Figuring out what to charge for a ticket is part economic, but for Adam Jones, it's also about winning back fans who had been marginalized by the previous owner. Jones leads the Marlins' business strategy and development. The core objective as an organization uh, is that we need to build trust. Uh, for us to build trust, we have to understand the market. To understand the market, we, we had to listen. Uh, and uh, fortunately, we, we have the community uh, in, in many segments leaning in. Uh, and so that's been a, a very positive direction for us. How about repeat business? What about uh, current season ticket holders re-upping for another season? What's that look like? Uh, so again, positive. Uh, you know, Not what you see when you're at the top end of, of your cycle in terms of performance across the industry, uh, but, but very favorable in terms of the price reset and the other enhancements we added to the membership package. Uh, very positive response to those uh, returning members uh, who saw the value, saw the direction, and, and again are, are, are recommitting to, to us as, as an organization. What's a reasonable metric for a team like the Marlins in the business cycle and, and frankly the enterprise cycle that it's in to see repeat customers for season ticket sales? What we're looking for in terms of return is more than 70% that re-engage with us uh, on, on an annual basis, and uh, we've, we, we've hit those marks and, uh, and are exceeding them. What's the ticketing strategy for the 2019 season? Well, first it started with the, the, the seat product itself, creating that diversity within uh, the, the experience so that there's a ticket or a seat that appeals to uh, as many different segments of the market as possible. Then it's looking at the packaging of, uh, of those tickets or those seats uh, so that uh, there are smaller commitments uh, so that you can begin to, to develop a, a relationship with the organization. And then there's the pricing itself, which as we looked at the pricing coming into to 2018, a lot of that was set prior to the, the transaction and the arrival of, of new leadership. Uh, we did our best within that structure to preserve the value to our members members while creating as much accessibility within the single game model. We had the opportunity coming in here to, to 2019 to do a full reset uh, across not only our member pricing, but off of the member pricing, uh, creating as, as, as much uh, calibration of our price to, to market value uh, as we could. Talk to us about that calculation. What did you look at for comparables, for instance, for that entertainment dollar in order to reset that financial relationship that you're asking for from a fan? Well, fortunately, uh, within our business, there is a lot of data that, that we can absorb and, and, and learn from. So we have our primary data, uh, transactions that occur uh, directly with the organization through our web or through our, our sales department. Uh, we look at that history. We're able to uh, run a lot of modeling off of that to, to look at market pricing. And then there's a whole secondary marketplace uh, with, with a number of different channels in which fans uh, choose to purchase uh, tickets that we can look at that data. Uh, and and begin to further calibrate what is market rate uh, and make sure that when it comes to the primary market and buying directly from, from the Marlins, uh, you're not only getting the best seat, but you're, you're getting uh, that same best value and, and price point as well. It's been reported the average ticket price in the 2019 season, uh, over half of the tickets that could be sold will be for $25 or less. Is that an accurate calculation? That is an accurate calculation, and it was a very important uh, and, and strategic decision to uh, price as, as much of our inventory at that $25 price or, or lower. Again, looking to reinforce that message around affordability, uh, looking to 
secure engagement not only in one game a year but get people coming back two or three four or five times a year uh, and making sure that from cost of attendance that again is not uh, one of the the primary drivers of a decision not to to engage with the Marlins. What about the cost of goods sold? Uh, uh, in, in other words like the cost of that seat is that an average price of $25 or less to the Marlins? Uh, in many instances, we're making investments within uh, those those price points to earn that engagement, and we'll build together as we take the uh, the the product forward. Is this a volume game? In other words, that uh, the Marlins is willing to play on here, compete on price for that entertainment dollar, and and as the as the price for the Marlins experience goes down to make up for that with volume. In other words, more attendance. Uh, well, attendance is one of our, our, our key priorities, and so within the yield game, uh, we're, we're focused on uh, getting as many people in the building as possible, uh, earning as, as, as much support as, as we can, uh, and there, there is some trade-off within the, the, the price and the volume side of that equation, uh, but as we take it forward, beginning to be able to calibrate that so that we're creating that sustainable model. Few businesses want to compete on price. Do you uh, bring that approach to the Marlins business strategy as it comes to ticketing to try to avoid competing on price? Are you willing to compete on price for that entertainment dollar here in South Florida? Well, I, I think that when we do our research, when we hear from from our fans, they they're looking at their Saturdays or Sundays, and uh, price is one of the factors that that comes into the decision. And we want to make sure that we're competitively priced and and where we think we need to be um, aggressive and outsized within that positioning. Uh, we're we're looking to take that opportunity. Uh, we're we're building a market. Uh, price is a, is a key component of that that strategy. The previous team ownership had a history of suing season ticket holders that had pulled out of agreements or suing luxury box holders. How do you, with the new ownership group, go about uh, addressing that kind of relationship? I think it goes back to trust again. I think a lot of those uh, fallouts of, of relationship come uh, from scenarios where uh, maybe there was too much promised and uh, too little delivered. And what we're doing is uh, right-sizing uh, you know, how we've positioned the product so that it's sustainable relationships uh, across the board. When you talk about promises or pledges over-promising and under-delivering, uh, are you talking about the product on the field, wins and losses, uh, and, or just the experience within the stadium? I think it's across the board from um, you know, what we intend to deliver uh, as a partner to uh, what we intend to deliver uh, as an experience to, to the, absolutely the, the product on the field as well. Senior Vice President of Business Strategy and Development with the Miami Marlins, Adam Jones, speaking with us last week from Marlins Park. If he is successful in getting fans back to the game of baseball here in Miami, he wants to make sure they eat and drink, fueling an important revenue stream for the team's business. That's still to come. In many cases, sport got bigger and only fo focused on larger format. Uh, so it's bringing in some smaller formats that come at a more reasonable price. So what does a $5 beer, what's the size of the $5 beer at Marlins Park? We're back on the Sunshine Economy here on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks again for listening. Today we're talking about remaking the Miami Marlins. Not the team, but the business of baseball. 
Opening day is Thursday for what will be the second season under new ownership, including CEO Derek Jeter. Expectations on the field are low, let's be honest. Oddsmakers give the Marlins a 500-to-1 chance of winning the National League pennant, the lowest in the league. 800 to 1 odds of winning the World Series. But in the stands, the team hopes to beat the bad business that has plagued the team for several seasons. It has lowered ticket prices and followed a trend by other teams in cutting the prices of popular food and drink items. The Marlins, for instance, are joining the Minnesota Twins this season and offering cheaper menu items. In true Miami style, though, the Marlins call it the 305 menu, items for $3 or $5. While it's a new strategy for Miami, it is trying something old as well, inviting familiar local restaurants into the stadium. We spoke with the head of the Marlins Business Strategy and Development, Adam Jones, at the ballpark last week. Food and beverage was uh, one of the most common, uh, frequently cited areas of the experience that uh, fans said was important and that they were dissatisfied with. And that came both in the variety of our offerings uh, as well as in the pricing of, of, of our product. And we've uh, taken very aggressive positions to address both here before uh, 2019. On the variety side, we've completely reimagined what food and beverage is here at, at Marlins Park. Uh, we've taken 12 locations on the promenade, reconcepted those into to 14 uh, new offerings uh, that we believe uh, meet our mandate of being authentically Miami, uh, from Miami's best pizza uh, to pincho, ceviche, novacento, uh, and then bringing in... These are local restaurants here that you're bringing into the stadium. Absolutely, with great Miami stories. The ballpark has tried that before in the past to bring uh, uh, South Florida flavors and to bring South Florida restaurants in. Uh, it has not succeeded in that. What's different this time that you think that uh, is going to resonate with the Marlins fan? Well, I think part of that is accessibility, uh, getting the concepts out uh, within that that primary path of travel, uh, the visibility. Has I mean, literally where they're located within the park? Absolutely. Wow. Uh, making sure that even within those offerings that uh, we've got the specialty product, but we've also addressed pricing uh, as well. Uh, which is part of that broader cost of attendance uh, initiative. We've you know, rolled out the, the 305 menu, uh, which is new introductory pricing of either $3 or $5 against eight ballpark staples. Uh, you can now get your hot dog, your popcorn, your pretzel, your taco, uh, your, your beer, water, soda at a, a very affordable price conscious uh, starting offering. In some cases, a significant drop from what fans had been paying in seasons past for those ballpark staples. Uh, are you still able to make a margin on those? Absolutely, there's investment in margin when it, it comes to delivering uh, this type of, uh, of menu at a $3 and $5 price point. Walk us through uh, what the modeling looks like in order to make that 3 or $5 menu item worthwhile for uh, the Marlins organization and for its hospitality partner to, to offer that as opposed to the 450 uh, hot dog and the $8 beer? Well, part of it starts with, with format uh, and looking at the, the size of the product. In many cases, uh, sport got bigger and only fo focused on larger format. Uh, so it's bringing in some smaller formats that, uh, again, come at a more reasonable price. And then looking within... So what does a $5 beer, what's the size of the $5 beer at Marlins Park, though? It'll start at 12 ounces. 12 ounces for $5. Correct. What are you modeling in terms of that revenue from concessions and how it may change this year compared to years past? 
Well, we're, we're looking at um, not only higher volume within the consumption of food and beverage in the park, but uh, that pricing driving uh, more engagement uh, with the uh, the product in general. So hopefully, again, earning that engagement uh, of, of that new fan or more repeat business from, from an existing fan. Uh, and, and so off of the, the volume side of either attendance or, or consumption, uh, you know, seeing uh, some payback, but in most cases, it's 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 an investment uh, within the, the the overall enterprise. Uh, meaning that it may not necessarily be uh, net positive for the organization. Uh, looking at it more uh, on a long range plan than transactional uh, on on day one, absolutely. Long range plan, multiple seasons then. Correct. What does that look like then in the 2020 season and 2021 season? Are you willing to keep those prices at the 2019 levels as you project out to this long-term three-year plan? Uh, it, it's an assessment as we, we work our way through the 2019 season, uh, where the, the product is on the field, how the market's engaging uh, with, with the, the, the pricing today, what we're seeing, uh, not only the primary, but on the secondary side. Uh, but I, I w- would would be uh, so bold as to say that you know, we're we're continuing to focus on on volume. Uh, there there will be inevitably price adjustments as the organization moves forward, uh, but very mindful and eyes wide open to uh, not sacrificing uh, uh, you know a, a long term relationship for a, a single transaction. Speaking with Adam Jones, the head of business strategy and development with the Miami Marlins. Opening day 2019 is Thursday against the Colorado Rockies. Now still to come, the start of a new season and acknowledging the lingering acrimony over the previous owner. We truly believe that we're building a formula that will deliver on you know, a promise that was made by, by others. will deliver on the commitment that the community made in return to that promise. We're back on the Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening to WLRN. When the Miami Marlins were sold, owner Jeffrey Luria claimed no profit, and so he didn't owe the city or the county any money on the profit-sharing deal that was part of the package that used public tax money to finance the building of Marlins Park. It was just one of the insults to local fans and taxpayers inherited by the new ownership group, which itself was named in a lawsuit filed by the city and county over the profit-sharing deal. In the meantime, first pitch for the 2019 season is Thursday, and the Marlins are hoping to remake their baseball business. We came in uh, fairly eyes wide open to the, the current state of, uh, of the organization, the market as a whole. Our number one objective was to build trust. That's Adam Jones, the head of business strategy and development with the Marlins. Last season, the team asked fans to send in 60-second videos about their experience of being a Miami Marlins fan. We asked very simple questions of what's worked, what hasn't, what can we improve and what's important to you? And off the back of that very simple framework, uh, we were able to get a lot of uh, insights to take forward. There was over 18 hours of fan videos eventually in the Demelo campaign. Demelo, tell me. Demelo was born out of uh, the, the desire to, to listen and understand, uh, knowing full well that for us to you know, earn the business of, of the market, uh, we first had to earn the, the trust of 
uh, the, the community, uh, which in many cases had engaged in the past and uh, had disengaged, uh, and then others who, uh, for one reason or another, uh, you know, had never been part of uh, this, this landscape. Jones sat through all 18 hours of those fan videos. He says what he heard back was mostly constructive suggestions and running counter to the idea that South Floridians are fair-weather baseball fans. There's a perception that uh, South Florida uh, you know, lacks passion when it comes to uh, their sports teams. And what we saw in those videos was the same type of fanaticism that I'd seen uh, across many of my clients in, in my former life. The emotion, the engagement is absolutely there. Uh, and, and now um, it, it is our job to, to deliver on the, the promises that we're making uh, to, to those who are raising their hand and saying, yes, I, I believe and you know, want to be part of this process forward. But moving forward also means acknowledging the past with the Marlins. Not the two World Series trophies necessarily, but the acrimony built up over years. We spoke with Jones last week at Marlins Park. Day one, um, you know, there there was not much of of a honeymoon uh, period for uh, you know for for new ownership, new leadership, and in many regards, uh, what would have been foolish for us to expect that, given where. Uh, you know the organization sat the the history uh, uh, around a lot of the the activity of, of the organization uh, and and so from day one it has been uh, a process of, of hitting reset uh, doing a, a ton of listening uh, to to really appreciate the depths of uh, both the positive uh, as well as where there's opportunity to to improve and beginning you know that that path forward uh, there, there was little time to sort of suggest we, we should have expected otherwise. And so it's been a slow and steady build uh, towards you know, what we eventually uh, expect to achieve, which is uh, a championship caliber, sustainable product on the field uh, with a business model that will continue to fund and, and fuel uh, the reinvestment within you know, that talent and the development of that talent. This community, as you well know, will have invested over a billion dollars in Marlins Park by the time all of the loans are, are eventually paid off. What should the community expect in terms of the return on that investment from the current ownership group? In, in terms of the, the return, I, the, the investment within this facility, one, as, as a community, we should take a lot of pride uh, in uh, the quality of, of this venue. Um, you know, what we've done in terms of capital this offseason, I think, has only further affirmed uh, the position of this ballpark within uh, the MLB landscape, the broader sport entertainment landscape in terms of, of quality of, uh, of venue. Uh, you know, our ability to uh, you know, deliver on our promises so that you know, the, the dollars are being generated out of you know, 81 plus states of, of baseball. Uh, is is certainly uh, our 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 role to play uh, within that dynamic. Our ability to turn this into a broader sport entertainment venue, uh, which was the intent of of its design, uh, with the retractable roof, with the the layout of of the field and the seat bowl, uh, is is also uh, you know a mandate we take very seriously uh, to to prove out the you know the direct economics uh, that were envisioned around uh, this project. Uh, then we talked to the 
uh, the, the indirect and the investment uh, in the surrounding neighborhood and how this becomes a catalyst for development or sustainability of, of a community, uh, which we uh, are, are, are fully uh, vested in, in, in seeing through. Uh, then there's you know, what we can do in terms of our activity and continuing to source locally uh, so that as we're putting capital into the ballpark, as we're operating you know, this, this fairly broad enterprise, you know, that we're sourcing and retaining as much of those dollars uh, within the local community as, as we can. And then ultimately that we're delivering on what are the true intangibles of sport and why communities choose to invest in, in sports as an asset and be a major league city, uh, and that we're delivering on uh, that civic pride uh, and, and that we are uh, an asset that the community takes pride in, um, you know, that we are, are delivering on that enhanced quality of life uh, for residents, that this is an asset, this is a product that uh, they put at the top of their list as to you know, why they choose to, to move to South Florida or live within certain parts of, uh, of the market. Um, and, and so it's, it's really a fairly complex landscape of, of considerations as to what is return on, on these types of, uh, of assets. Uh, and, and we truly believe that we're building a formula that will deliver on you know, a promise that was made by, by others, uh, but uh, will deliver on the commitment that the community made in return to that promise. Let me ask you about one of the tangible measurements of success, and that is the win-loss record. As you know, the Marlins had the worst win-loss record in the National League in 2018. It is one way, certainly, to measure success in terms of investment. Uh, what should the community expect in terms of that tangible metric? And also, what metrics are you looking at ahead of the 2019 season to measure the impact that the business strategy has evolved into? Uh, on the, the baseball uh, side, as many metrics as, as we could roll out, it's as simple as, as wins and losses. Derek says it well, we're, we're out there to compete. And you know, those who uh, are, are not there competing day in and day out, making themselves better, this probably is not the organization uh, for them. On the business side, it's, it's the attendance. Uh, it's all of those, those core metrics uh, that we'd like to see uh, the, the positive movement. Uh, but then it's digging again a little further into the research side of it, looking at sentiment, uh, looking at engagement. Uh, you know, we've got to do a better job of creating more 365-day content uh, that earns that year-round type engagement. Uh, and, and that's where we'll begin to uh, continue to earn the, the trust and confidence of our investors if we can demonstrate that those leading indicators are setting us up to uh, you know, achieve more on those, those core business metrics that are uh, akin to, to, to sport. Has the Marlins rebirth concentrated its focus on the fan base in Miami as opposed to South Florida? Is that where the opportunity really exists here in the first few years of the new ownership structure? The, the opportunity is in South Florida when we look at the long-range uh, outlook. Uh, it's it's going to take the entire market as it does uh, across all of our, our peers in order to uh, scale and, and make this sustainable. Um, and while uh, a lot of our uh, attention and, and resource has been 
position towards uh, you know the the neighborhoods immediately around the ballpark. Uh, in many cases, because that's where, uh, unfortunately, uh, the introductions had not been made. Um, uh, in a lot of cases as well, if we look to uh, our peers again, uh, this is 81 dates of, of, of content. The ability for people to attend uh, is somewhat correlated to their proximity to to, to the venue, uh, and there are certainly uh, you know neighborhoods, communities within South Dade uh, who had been unaddressed or underaddressed. Uh, but as we take the organization forward, uh, it's the entire market that we're positioning to, uh, that we're looking to engage to achieve what I think everyone wants, which is uh, sustainable baseball. Adam Jones is the head of business strategy and development with the Miami Marlins. You can follow us on Twitter, at WLRN is our handle, and you can also find a podcast of this program and our previous programs by searching Sunshine Economy on iTunes. Pilar Ribe is our technical director. Katie Lepre is our engagement producer. Polly Landis is our booking producer. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening and supporting Public Radio.